Oh no. American Soccer Show. Eric Alcantar, Emma McConnell. We have our final four. I can't wait for next weekend when... Oh, oh wait. Never mind. Never mind? Never mind. No, I was going to say I'm looking forward to this weekend's games, conference finals, but um, apparently we're taking a break. The glorious international break. I got to say, it just saps the life out of me. I normally don't care all that much about them. Like, I'm like, oh, whatever, you know, it's international break. It's a good time to see the U.S. play and Mexico play some other fun matchup. No, no, this this is a little different. Like, the playoffs were finally getting good. I was really getting into it. And now it just, like, we're taking a break. Like, what is this? I mean, like, as much as I dislike it, I think one thing it does is that when regular play returns, I think I get hyped up back again and get really into it. So I'd wonder if they got rid of the international breaks, if I would slow down interest at any given point. I doubt it. I, I, I can't imagine myself getting less hyped than I already am. It's just, I, I don't know. I don't like this, like, pause. And I, I would say let's just play through the international break because we do all the other times anyway. But I guess I, I can't really say that because then I'd be upset when teams are missing their best players. And I would say don't let them call them up, which you are technically allowed to do since there's nothing there's nothing but friendlies going on except for in Europe. And I guess oh I guess both Nations League, so I guess I shouldn't even say that. But it's it's kind of frustrating, like to just to build all that momentum up and now gotta wait. Yeah, and certainly by this time it's the third international break of the fall season. Uh, one every month. It definitely definitely has an impact. Uh, but the good news is there's not another one until March. True. Uh, I guess if, if you're the, if you're a fan of the European leagues, not another one until March. Uh, if you know, when it comes to MLS, I guess the break happens after December 8th, right? Yeah. The break comes and then I mean, there's camp cupcake in January, but I mean, you know, by that point we don't, no one's playing, no one's getting taken away from their teams to play in those games. So that'll be good. Cause it'll mostly be North American based players. And this one, it was meant to be, uh, to be fair, mostly European players. I think but both of their games are in Europe, so I think the plan was to have mostly European players. I think that but plan failed. A little bit, just slightly. Uh, there are a couple of players who, who are still in the playoffs, but yeah, it's such a challenging time for someone who's gotten so into, um, into play for it to just stop so abruptly. It hurts. It does. It hurts. It does. Well, we'll we'll do our best to cope because it was an exciting round of games, and we're we're gonna give you our thoughts. We're starting with the Thursday uh, matinee between Seattle Sounders and Portland Timbers. The game finishes three two. Finished four four on aggregate. Had to go all the way to penalties, where Portland did come out on top four two in penalty kicks. The the rules. I want to start with the discussion on the rules here because. There are no away goals. The there are no like you know the away goal is not used as a tiebreaker when it is scored in extra time. And I don't know if MLS is the only league that does this, but more need to start doing it because I can't. I cannot believe that this is the first time I've ever seen this this rule be used. Where if you play extra time in the other team's stadium, you no longer get the benefit of the away goals rule. I, I love that. 
I don't know about you. Let me let me set the scene for you. The year's 2013. Okay. <laughs> Europa League, Inter Milan is playing Tottenham. It's Emmett's prime. And in the round of 16, yeah, this is my prime. Uh, that's right, Cam- Esteban Cambiaso is still bossing the midfield. Rodrigo Palacios, rat tail, is just breaking onto the Argentina scene. And Ricardo Alvarez was brought in uh, to be the new Philip Coutinho. And yes, Brad Friedel, the coach of New- the New England Revolution, was playing in net for Spurs. After a 3-0 win at White Hart Lane... The game went to San Siro, where Inter neutralized Spurs and went 3-0 into extra time. At that point, the game went 1-1 in extra time, but because of away goals, Tottenham won after a 4-1 loss in Italy because of that one away goal. And at the time, it felt so crazy to think that that was how a team could lose. And I am totally for the fact that the home team has some minuscule advantage in these playoffs, because as it is, after the first game, there's no advantage. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> talking about 2013, I was a junior in high school, so you know that a long time ago. Now it feels like. Oh yeah, that was a. Uh, that's over five. That's five years ago, right now. Yeah. So. Totally different times. The Europa League was a completely different competition than it is now. But yeah, it's I, I I love it. Even though the Portland players will tell you that they did not know, or they did that they did know, and apparently were very excited to get the penalty kicks, depending on who you ask. Sebastian Blanco, I believe, went down on like two knees and like you know pointing up at the sky in exuberation, and then somebody had to tell him, "Hey, uh, we still got to go to penalties." And it does kind of boggle the mind the fact that nobody told. These players at some point, hey, uh, you know this is no more away, no goals. away goal rule. Do you remember? You're an, you're an Eagles fan. Do you remember the time Donovan McNabb walked off the field and like extremely puzzled? And they he, after the game they asked him, "Why were you so like weirded out?" And he's like, "I didn't know the game could end in a tie." <laughs> I. I didn't know you were going with that, and I was going to say no, but actually, yes, I do. <laughs> he's like, um, he's like I, I didn't know. And I'm like, what? It's your job to know. I, that's, <laughs> I feel like that's still a thing that players run into, to be fair. Um, but, yeah, it's it's one of those things that, yeah, you, it is your job to know. It's, it's a good point. But it's all, I mean, more than the player's job, it's there's someone on the staff has to know. Yeah, so there's got to be someone in the know. Somebody's got to be telling people like, "Hey, hey, come on, let's get another. Let's get another." Like, and I, 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 I mean, dare I say, is it possible that Savarese didn't even know? Because I tell you, his game plan there at the end was kind of let's absorb a lot of pressure. Now they are away, so I'm willing to believe that no, the game plan was just let's just get this to penalties. Let's not take any more chances. Let's not get a, let's not dig another hole for ourselves to climb out of. I could believe that, but I, I don't know. I don't know. He may not have known either. And that's kind of concerning. Yeah, I mean, if you're in that position, I think you're okay with going to penalties. You just don't want to lose. Uh, but, yeah, who who knows? Someone someone knows somewhere. The, the commentary they knew. didn't know. <laughs> and they're not. Someone in the club staff, I mean, knows that they did not know at the time. But they will not tell. I'll tell you that. Oh no, that that we will never hear about this again. And and since they won, it definitely won't be a non-issue for them. And that's the biggest thing. Yeah, this was a wild game, though. I mean, uh, it's too bad most of the East Coasters probably couldn't stay out. This game ended at one thirty in the morning Eastern time. So, 
I, I don't blame you if you went to sleep because you had work the next day. But ah, oh, first half was wasn't all that crazy either. But the second half, Rory Diaz misses a sitter, something well, what I would consider a sitter for him anyway. Eventually, he makes up for it. Atanella, who was so good in that knockout round, gives it to him by making a mistake on a cross, getting drops the ball, and Rory Diaz is never going to miss from there. And it's just incredible. A bad clearance by Seattle in the 78th minute leads to Darren Aspria coming off the bench, who apparently has his own like Mr. November title because this guy in the playoffs is just a monster. I mean, yeah, like... This was... As far as endings go, as wild as it gets, um, Aspria... I mean, honestly, did not expect him to be the big man to step up. Not only does he score that goal, he also nails the winning penalty. Yes, yes, he does. Ice in this man's veins. More like Darren Ice, Bria, am I right? Oh, my God. I I can't believe I set you up for that. (laughs) (laughs) At Nella, that was a massive mistake. Uh, And in a playoff game. It is nice to... I mean, yeah, and anytime that's big. I mean, that's the kind of mistake I see Seth and Fry making. No offense, Seattle fans. But um, it's nice to see a keeper make up with that, and he did have a good penalty shootout. Uh, I, honestly, my, I think my biggest takeaway, as much as anyone might hate it, is the fact that Portland got away with celebrating a <laughs> game before it was over. Yeah. I, as great as a game as it was, as end-to-end penalties, Cascadia Derby, everything – they could. It, the big news would have been that they lost after celebrating, and that that does show a certain amount of edge that they can, after thinking they win, go in and and nail it on penalties. Sebastian Blanco had a weird night because he he is the one that scores, who smashes it past Stefan Fry. He took the advantage for Portland, and in stoppage time, Seattle needing a goal to send us to extra time, he heads it and he does he does exactly what they tell you not to do. This is like rule number one when it comes to defending in this sport. Never put the ball back in the middle. And so a, he- a ball comes in, and Blanco, who is not a defender in his, you know, in his defense, I suppose, heads the ball right back in the middle. And again, it's Raul Diaz, right place, right time. So Blanco, you know, he scores the goal that puts them ahead, and you think, oh my goodness, he's going to win them the tie. Then he heads the ball back in the middle, and you think, oh my goodness, he's lost them the tie. Then they go to extra time, and you know, he has a pretty decent performance, and you think, wow, what a performance. Then he gets on his knees and celebrates, thinking they've won, and you think, oh no, he's doomed to them. Then he scores his penalty, and you know it's all it's all forgiven again. But this guy had a night. Talk about a roller coaster ride. To be, I mean, like, not only was it just that he headed it back into the middle, right, for his clearance. Like, it's one thing if you, you know, you you're at the near post and you try to head it on, and it just goes out to some of the top of the eighteen who smashes a great volley. He was literally already at the top of the eighteen at his header, and he just flicks it backwards. So he doesn't get any distance away from the goal. He just puts it like I, I'd argue he put it closer. Yeah, if you were a forward, that's exactly what you'd be expecting them to do for a flick on. It's almost like his instincts were, I got past the near post. Okay, flick it on, it was, and he just uh, and he does it anyway, even though he's supposed to be heading it out. I mean, the best thing he could have done is head it straight out for a throw in. Uh, but honestly, both team. I mean, just impressed by both teams' ability to stay in the game. Uh, Blanco, I guess, will be... I guess he was kneeling because he was thanking the fact that they didn't lose based off of that mistake. But, uh, wild. 
wild game. It was actually at 5.30 a.m. in South African time. Wow. As crazy as that may be when the game started. So I actually had a, a, a plane ride that morning, and I was actually able to catch the end of the game in the airport at 7.30 at like <laughs> 9 a.m. That's incredible. That is time, time, man. Time, Time's weird. So East Coast people might have had trouble, but it was early enough to be even in the morning here. It's, it's, it is a shame, though, how the time works out. I, I couldn't take my eyes off the screen. It was, a, it was an incredible performance by both and, teams. But I, potentially one of the better playoff games uh, in recent MLS history. And then our man, Darren Icebria, he, he scores the game-winning penalty. Fry did get a hand on it, but that's why you hit it with power, guys. Kids, if you're listening... Hit it with power for that reason. Power and placement, you know. Placement, uh, then power. And, I mean, this is another reason why I don't think Fry is one of the better goalies in the league is he uh, he's not great on penalties. And uh, I maybe I'm being a little too hard on the guy, but um, unfortunate because, I mean, despite the huge mistake, Atnella ends up being the better goalkeeper on the day. Yeah, uh, had wild him, to think. Adnella had himself a pretty decent night, all things considered, outside of that terrible mistake on that cross. And again, I'm I'm, not, I'm really not even sure what he's doing. I don't know if he got like he got caught looking ahead, like, oh, okay, this is what I'm going to do with this ball, and then you know just dropped the literally dropped the ball on it. But yeah, it was not well, not his finest moment. A little overly aggressive, but yeah, it's not often where you see a goalkeeper. Um, making a mistake that leads to a goal and having the better night of the two. Yeah. So that is, that is of the crazy things that happened, that is just yet another. Yeah. Wild. So moving on to Sunday where we had that triple header of action, starting with sporting Kansas city's four, two win over real salt Lake. They win the tie five, three on aggregate. Oh man. Well, uh, Diego Rubio, Daniel Shaloy score in 20 minutes, both assisted by Felipe Gutierrez. And so uh, I thought, all right, here we go. You know, this is the routes on sporting KC is going to run away with this one. Everything I thought about RSL is true. Here we go again. And the second half was pure domination by sporting Kansas city to start. And I would have thought, well, RSL, that they were the team that needed the goals here. And I, I give them credit for that because eventually RSL did get back into the game. And actually, when I typed up that note, because, you know, I was watching the game and I was typing up notes as we went, as I typed that, that SKC was dominating, Sebastian Saucedo came off the bench for RSL, a great hit from just outside the box. He turned the game around with that one goal completely against the run of play. And from there, it wasn't even against the run of play anymore for Real Salt Lake. No. They, they became... The team that looked the most likely to come out of this tie. Yeah, they they did. All things considered. I mean, a couple really close misses and some great saves from Melian Opara. The difference between Real Salt Lake moving on and and getting eliminated. That's how close it was. 4-2 does not do any justice. No, it really doesn't because this one got crazy after the Now, Diego Rubio, who I mentioned earlier scoring a goal, also got himself a yellow card. Will miss the first leg of the conference uh, finals. Uh, very stupid one, too, because it, it's just such an intentional handball that, frankly, if the referee had given him a red card, I probably would have shrugged my shoulders and said, well, I mean, what did you expect? <laughs> I mean, it's so crazy because I think every time I see this guy in the field, I think he deserves to be playing. But 
SKC has, you know, Kristen Nemeth and Kyrie Shelton who are Ugh. pretty consistently consistently bad. Yeah, agreed on. Yeah, no, I I Shelton agree. They're not bad. producing. Rubio at least scores goals, but those are two guys who at least can help the team. It's crazy that Rubio hasn't been playing 90 minutes every game given his ability. It's stuff like this that I have yeah. to think has some impact on why uh, he's not a surefire starter every game. So and here, so speaking of mental errors, then on the other side, Sporting KC gets a penalty because Chindem Onua, the ball gets away from Rubio, and there's there's no reason left to foul him other than I guess to you know to hit him. I, I don't really know what he was going for here, but he, he completely misses, and obviously he takes down Rubio, and the referee has to call a penalty because he, he just completely takes him down with the ball nowhere near him. So it was a completely terrible mistake. Ilya Sanchez Panenka, beautiful Panenka, love a good Panenka scores. And at that point, I thought it was over. And then, so naturally, the next thing was an RSL goal by Demir Krylak, who is trying to work his way to MLS playoff goat at this point. He's definitely making an effort. I mean, since his movement to being a forward, he has been absolutely stellar. Um, who would you rather have, Demir Krylak I mean, or Zlatan Ibrahimovic? It's, it's, honestly, it's tough at this point because Krylak's not exactly playing in a... Uh, Galacticos style team who's all out offense uh, but every goal he seems, this guy seems to make has been an absolutely fantastic one and always at the right time too Yeah. so this this again put the scales back in RSL they only needed a goal and had they scored they would have moved on and in the 83rd minute there are 2-3 chances uh, the ball there, there's a picture if you can find it on Twitter of the ball coming out to an RSL player there's nothing between him and the goal the defenders are all scrambling to get towards him. The goalkeeper's out of position now because of the last shot. It's 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 there, and he can't put it away. They were that close, and I get I can promise you, had they scored that, they would have advanced. I mean, it wasn't even the only one. They had a couple really great chances, and it does end up coming down to this. But if you rewind back to the first leg. Nick Romano giving the ball away where Rubio scores and makes it 1-1. Yep. Yet again, it's those little things. Any of those moments goes a different way and RSL goes, moves on. And it's honestly, it's hard to say that they would have been undeserved. No. Because they they really put everything into those last two two series. Yeah, and if you're wondering, that last goal that they, that they conceded was basically at the end there, and they're chasing the game, they're putting everyone forward, but Brooks Lennon is trying to play the ball back to his goalkeeper, Ramondo, and it uh, doesn't work out for him, unfortunately, for Brooks Lennon. He'll learn. He's young, but another case of RSL kind of shooting themselves in the foot when they least needed to do it. I, I and That's basically, I think, the perfect way for their season to end, to be honest, but I don't... I thought when this started, it was going to be a hit piece on RSL for me. I was like, oh, here we go. See, I told you these guys just aren't any good. And, you know, throughout this game and after thinking about it some more and looking back on that LAFC game and the two legs against Sporting KC and, again, every chance to have gone through for RSL, I they earned my respect. And RSL absolutely deserved to be there. RSL honestly deserved to move on. And... Uh, to me, that that's a sign of a pretty good team. So I, I, I actually do feel bad for all the things that I've said because it's very clear to me that I had them pegged all wrong. Yeah, because they, I mean, very easily against the top team in the West could have moved on. 
and it kind of again, it, I, I mean, it comes down to that Houston LA Galaxy game. They, you would think a team that gets saved like that would get knocked out immediately, but this is almost a t- like I think if they came away with this this series win, just literally ten seconds goes their way and they come away with this win, you would think they'd be in the finals the way they're playing. <laughs> Well, I definitely would have been interested to see them go up against the yeah, uh, Portland. That would have been interesting. Both teams not great defensively, so that would have been something. Although Portland absolutely housed them in the regular season, so who knows? That is true. Both home and away in like the span of two weeks. You'd have to get to think Portland has the edge. But RSL has, I mean, every time they in the regular season you made you know they made us think they weren't worthy. Uh, the performance in the playoffs said otherwise, and I mean it's a, it's a completely different season. So uh, I do think it's a shame they didn't move on. But Sporting Kansas City again is a great team, and I think this is probably the only team in the West that RSL had any reason to uh, to look up at to think that they couldn't win. Yeah, no, and I mean look given at how, given how they've been playing, rivalry game. Uh, all things considered, this is this was pretty big for them, and they they nearly got it. So. That close. That close. Well, speaking of things that were definitely not close, the Atlanta United NYCFC game ends in a 1-1 draw. Or not in a 1-1 draw. What am I talking about? It was a 3-1 victory for Atlanta United and a 4-1 win on aggregate. So not not a whole lot here. I, I know this. it was kind of a chippy game, a lot, uh, a lot more physical than I would have expected given the way both teams play, but... Again, just I think pure dominance by Atlanta, all things considered. I, don't, I didn't think NYCFC showed me a whole lot here to, to think that they were ever going to turn this one around. And I think that chippiness and physicality came back from the first game and carried over. But also comes from Atlanta's kind of, you know, they used to be like uh, Man City, just dominating, dominating, dominating. But even though they're not dominating as much, they still find ways to get it done. And 3-1 is entirely convincing against an NYCFC team with pretty decent talent, all things considered. Yeah, no, this was, this was a very good all-around performance for Atlanta United. They will definitely look at this one and say that this is this is a key a cornerstone victory for the organization because now they're just, you know, a couple of results away and got that big clash coming up in the East between, you know, the top two teams in it. So that's going to be very interesting. The New York Red Bulls have had their number this season and this kind of the performance that they need to be able to put out because, you know, not everything... Not everything is going to be as easy as it was against you know the bottom feeders of the East that they dominated a lot of this season. Yeah, and this, I mean, definitely against the Red Bulls, they have the work cut out for them. Um, but I, I think this almost was a situation of NYCFC being a bit of the Dallas of the East, backing their way in, not really looking too convincing. So I think anything other than a fairly convincing Atlanta win would be uh, worrisome moving forward for the Southerners because NYCFC, I mean, even with a full lineup under Dom Torrent, they they haven't shown that they are a three-seed in a, a pretty strong top East conference. Yeah, they completely fell apart, and we'll, we'll talk about them in the obituary here in just a little bit. But, yeah, they, they completely fell apart, and I thought maybe there might be some momentum having, you know, beaten down Philadelphia, but it just wasn't meant to be. And, you know, we'll see. They have a lot of question marks going forward. And in a game like this where you didn't think they'd have much of a chance, they, they needed to do better in their home leg. They didn't have a single shot on target in that one, and I think here it just doomed them because they had to attack Atlanta, and you don't want to have to go to Atlanta having needing goals the way they needed goals. So... 
It just I don't, I don't they were set up to fail from the beginning. Yeah, I mean, and the biggest thing is when you're facing Atlanta. I don't care if you're NYCFC in form or out of form. Uh, you can't give them a sniff. And the first two goals they give, you know, it wasn't beautiful Atlanta play. It wasn't, uh, you know, tiki-taka flowing, breaking through the New York City defense. It was a penalty and a free kick. Yep. And, I mean, Atlanta did the same thing for New York City, to be fair. But you're in the playoffs, and these are just the kind of things you cannot allow. No matter where you are, home or away. Yeah, totally agreed on that front because the the foul Yangil Herrera probably should have been sent off here because not for that foul specifically, but he he had like four or five challenges where I was like, I mean, how is this guy still on the field by this point? And you know, and he does get punished. Miguel Almiron makes him pay with a you know wonderful free kick, but I mean, it was like, what in the world are you doing, dude? Yeah, and there's a couple uh, really questionable fouls in the end that lead to goals in this game, at least three of them. Uh, and every time you give away foul, you're always like, oh, no, what are you doing? What are you doing? And a lot of times it doesn't come back to bite you. But the tackle in the box that led to the penalty, just reckless. The, the foul for the free kick, you, absolutely unnecessary. The, the other free kick for New York City's goal, really unnecessary. And I'm wondering, it, some of that has to come down to coaching. Like, you have to be mentally prepared to not be giving away silly chances like that. Yeah. Because you know any team that's as strong as even New York City, as much as I've been giving them some slack right now, uh, is going to put away. Yeah, they, it's, they'll it's make you pay. Weak. They will absolutely make you pay. And so I, I agree with you that some of that is coaching. Some of that is just lack of discipline, frustration. Atlanta perhaps at the end, because that you know that goal by Chano at the end off the set piece it was a little later in the game. I, I could buy that they were just kind of, they were kind of done. Like the guy was like, ah, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to let this guy pass me. I'm, I'm bringing him down. We'll defend the set piece. Yeah. I mean, I, again, that I, I see how you'd think about it in the, in the moment. Uh, but anytime you give a free kick at a playoff game, I just think it gives a free opportunity that doesn't exactly come from the run of play yeah. that you have to exactly earn it. Um, and that one did, it brought New York city within a goal at that point. It's true. It did. It did bring them back in it for a little bit, but again, Atlanta. It just never really felt like NYCFC was going to get back in it, even as close as they were getting at one point. No, I mean it's, and that's the thing is, if you're not that good from the run of play, if you're not, if you're limit set pieces, the team isn't going to score. And I think a team as good as Atlanta, even NYCFC defensively, if you limit set pieces, you'll limit opportunities, especially in the playoffs where teams are more timid moving forward. Uh, but this was, uh, you know, a, a dichotomy of Atlanta's ability to get things done and New York City's ability to fold uh, given their recent performances. So that's, I, I think for most people, this is how they expected it to go. Yeah, I would say so. Finally, New York Red Bulls 3 nothing win over Columbus. That means they win 3-1 on aggregate. So the Columbus crew story comes to an end for the season. The New York Red Bulls... Total domination, honestly. Aaron Long opened the scoring off a set piece that they clearly practiced, except, of course, it was not given to Aaron Long because Alex Mule, apparently, standing there, has his foot just slightly out, and it hits him on the way into the goal, so it's actually his goal. And he was given credit for it. <laughs> Interesting. Love it. Love my, uh, my favorite kind of goals. I didn't realize he was actually given credit in the end. Uh, I, for me... That is the defining moment of the game. 
Because you come in your Columbus crew, you have a one nothing lead. You, the big thing you want is to limit Red Bull's goals. If you can keep them to no goals into the 70th, 75th minute, you've done your job. Because you can at least ensure this goes to extra time or steal a goal here or there and force them to get two. And getting a goal that early, again, off a set piece, the last thing that you should be giving up in a playoff situation, it sank the crew, and this was within the first 20 minutes. Yeah, I agree. They, it kind of took the air out of them right away. The Red Bulls looked so dangerous early. The crew, nothing early on. It kind of really wasn't even that eventful of a match. I think that the goal just kind of took the air out of Columbus, and it was this inevitable feeling of, well, this is it, isn't it? And sure enough, that's yeah. what it was because the Red Bulls got their second goal, team goal, beautiful passing and build up for it. And Daniel Royer put the Red Bulls up, assisted by that Tyler Adams, who was at one point built part of the buildup of the play in the midfield, and he wind up he winds up making a darting run into the box to set up Royer. So tells you how talented that guy is. I mean, as great as Adams is, I do want to go back to Royer because I've never said it on this show, but I haven't been a huge fan of Daniel Royer. Have you been saying it on other shows? Back. Yeah, the uh, you know the other oh, okay. the other big American okay. soccer show, uh, but it's just something I've been thinking about. Um, I wasn't sure if he's exactly the guy who's been who would be important for this team, given how they play, given how uh, they set up. But uh, and, and this was specifically under Jesse Marsh, but I think under Chris Armis and becoming slightly more direct. He's he's been terrific in that position. I've never really thought they've been very s- solid in their wing position. You know, they've gotten rid of Mike Grella, uh, who I thought was a pretty talented winger. They brought in Royer instead. Alex Moyle has never really been that convincing on the other wing. Uh, you know, Etienne sometimes plays on the wing. It's never been something I've... No one there has convinced me, but Royer in the past two, three months, I think, has really established himself as probably the best winger the Red Bulls have had uh, you know in the past few years at least yeah, fair uh, the flood that basically opened the floodgates because after that Daniel Roy so after a big team goal Royer does it on his own on the next one beautiful shot outside the box beats Stefan and that was it and again Royer you know he's he's good here but I just gave him praise but this time I'm gonna turn it around Stefan really should be saving this one. Because this is the goal that takes it out of reach for Columbus. They're still within one goal. And if, if you watch this one, the different angles, it kind of just... It, it almost looks like a Sunday league where you just put an outfield <laughs> wow. player in goal. Well, you And if it's at him, he'll save it. But if it's anywhere else, he won't. And Stefan kind of throws his arms up like he's going to save it, and then he pulls it back. And I can tell exactly what's going on. Is He doesn't really think it's going to go on. He's not really... You know, I didn't think it's gonna go in. He's not really set, and it leads to the ball just kind of going in in a position where I think, you know, not only are you an MLS starting goalkeeper, but you won MLS Keeper of the Year. It's not a ball that's going in the top corner, and he's not even diving for it. Like say he, you will, it's like okay, it's a fast shot, it's kind of high, but he makes no attempt for it. I think that's easily savable by by most goalkeepers. I thought I thought it probably should have been saved when I first saw it. I wasn't I wasn't a hundred percent sure. I, I watched a few replays and hearing you say it now makes me feel like I was I was right to think that he maybe should have done better. But here's the thing: we did find out. Well, we've now found out that he is injured. So 
it's possible that that's the reason why he couldn't you know, he couldn't get there anymore. And if he's less than a hundred percent, I I don't think I have to tell anyone that it would affect his ability and his you know his reaction time. So there is that, and that is floating a, around. And that, and that is a a really massive I think um, talking point because okay if you're injured and that's a save you should be making, do you play in the game because? You have to assume, okay, your backup goalkeeper is good enough to be making that save, right? Yeah. However, does, you know, having your starting goalkeeper versus your backup creates a different confidence issue with the back line. There's always something to having your starting goalkeeper in and what that offers, you know, how the back line can trust you, the communication and all that stuff. So you always have to wonder, you know, if he came out, would the team have done better? Would they have done worse? And it really is impossible to say because there is that intangible to having a starting goalkeeper playing even if they are injured. Yeah, agreed. So we'll see uh, kind of what comes with that. Zardis was also injured apparently, so you know their attack was very much limited. And it does bring up the interesting question of how hurt is too hurt before it's time to sit out because you're hurting the team more by being in there than by being out. It's really tough to say, isn't it? Because... If you're Zardis, your movement has gotten so much better in the box. Is Patrick Mullins going to actually help the team than a you know a sixty percent Jossie Zardis who might just get a tap in here or there, right? Because he just has a, a better reading of the game. Right. It's it, it's an age old question in every sport. You know, it happens a lot where we find out this guy was playing through this at the end of the season. Right. That's that's when these things tend to come out. Oh, we find out this guy was playing with a torn this uh, this guy. This guy was battling this hamstring injury all year and we didn't know about it. It is it is kind of a fine line because, yeah, you you want your best players to want to be out there. But at the same time, you don't want your best players you don't want your best players, A, re- risking their own uh, re-injury risk because it only gets worse the more you play on it. But it also, uh, you're risking your team's chances to win because you are, in a sense, playing at less than 100%. And you're, and like you said, is 60% of Jossie's artist better than Patrick Mullins? I don't think so. Yeah, but I mean, when it comes to the injury, are you willing to risk, you know, the two months, three months off season that they'll miss because of the playing through it? Usually, yes. Um, it's it's so difficult to say. I think in the end, you, you'd have to say it hurts the crew here. But uh, I don't think that it was those injuries that did it for them. I think it was that first free kick. I think that seals, seals the deal for me. Okay. If that doesn't go in, I think Columbus settles in. They find a way to defend. And, uh, you know, even from the run of play, as good as the Red Bulls are, they start to struggle. So from Greg Berhalter, man, uh, his his current job to what we presume is his next job, the U.S. men's national team, jumping to what, again, is going to be interrupting our MLS play, the international break. They have games against England and Italy. Apparently, Rain Rooney will be playing for England in sort of his send-off match at Wembley. That's uh, pretty cool. I wouldn't have minded Tim Howard and Clint Dempsey getting one. So, but you know, apparently it's too late for Dempsey because he's already retired from all soccer. And at this point, I don't know how how much I'm willing to give Tim Howard. I mean, I guess I'd still give it to him. But I mean, Guzan will be there. He did have a pretty, uh, you know, not as successful as Howard, but he had a decent career with Aston Villa. 
in the Premier League and Championship. So, a little something to hold on to. Yeah, I meant like a like a testimonial in general for like Howard and Clint Dempsey here in the U.S. Not not in this Wembley game. I that's the last thing I wanted to oh, see was Clint Dempsey and Tim Howard in Wembley. <laughs> to be fair, I do think Dempsey deserves a testimonial because he is the highest goal scorer in the Premier League for Fulham in history as a midfielder. He played left midfield for them. Uh, so he still is a, a legend of sorts for the club. So I, I think he does deserve it. Howard for he, Everton, say what you will, he probably deserves it as well. Uh, but, you know, Fulham's in London, so that wouldn't have been that bad of an opportunity either. Well, Fulham apparently have hired Claudio Ranieri as their new manager, so that's interesting. <laughs> we'll see how that goes for them. T- title coming next season? Next season, it's got to be. Mitrovic, the new Vardy. Jean-Michel Seri is the new uh, Conte, and Mahrez, I guess, is uh, Andre Scherla. <laughs> oh, my God. The World Cup winner. Could oh, be. Oh, no. All right. Well, before before that gets out of hand, yeah. Um, I, I, I wouldn't mind bringing Howard and Dempsey into the Camp Cupcake in January and giving them a, a, fair, a farewell. But that, that, I suppose, depends on whether Dempsey can still, can still wants to play, I guess. Howard obviously still can. So... To be fair, I think there's a difference between a, a, a national team call-up and a testimonial. I think they'll both get a testimonial at some point in the next two years. I would think so, but we'll see. So anyway, the, the roster here, the goalkeepers, uh, Brad Guzan will be there, like you mentioned. Ethan Horvath will be there. No Zach Steffen. He is out injured. So taking his place, Jonathan Klinsman, 21-year-old Hertha Berlin goalkeeper who has not played for Hertha Berlin yet, senior team. So, ah. Interesting. Is it could be a good long-term effect of having Jurgen Klinsmann as the U.S. Uh, coach because it's possible Jonathan Klinsmann comes the next uh, great goalkeeper. Then again, Zinedine Zidane's son is also a goalkeeper, so <laughs> oh, <laughs> I haven't heard too had, much of him. Had Perhaps to go he's there, also huh? had to go there. <laughs> I mean, you know, Casper Schmeichel, another great son's goalkeeper. To be fair, his dad was also a goalkeeper. Wow. Uh, uh, hey, you know, Christian Pulisic's cousin is a goalkeeper, Will Pulisic, and he's in the Borussia Dortmund uh, academy system. Is this is this another instance of, like, John Luigi uh, Donnarumma having his agent force his brother to sign for the club? <laughs> you never really know it, those. But with Stefan out, because we have had Stefan and Guzan as kind of a duo uh, goalkeeper for Sarah Chan at this point, uh, I'm interested to see who he brings as a starter because I think it'll be Guzan given his history in England. But with how Horvath played with Club Bruges in the Champions League this past week, it's hard to say he doesn't deserve it. I think you're going to see Brad Guzan start the game against England at Wembley in the you know the little more of the hostile environment for the U.S. national team, and then that Italy game, which is being played in Belgium. Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, I think you, <laughs> I think you could see Horvath start that one. It would make a lot of sense. Because he does deserve it. He would. He does deserve it. He plays for Club Bruges, so you know. Beautiful city, by the way. If you're ever in ever in, around Belgium ways, check out Bruges. So okay, I'll take your word for it. So yeah, I think that may, that would make the most sense to me, at least. I, I think Horvath absolutely deserves to start a game, and I think it would make sense for him to start the game in Belgium in uh, Brussels. I think it's being played in or Gank. One of those two. I can't remember why. I can't remember why. Uh, why, why or how? 
I either one. I don't know why this is being done in Belgium. I maybe it's because they didn't like I, they thought that the Italians wouldn't care because they're like, oh well, all the A team players are gonna play in the Nations League game, and then they're gonna play the U.S. in a friendly, and no one's gonna go. Well, I mean, like we kind of mentioned earlier in the episode, I think this was supposed to be a bit of uh, with the U.S. you know MLS playoffs going on. It's a chance for European players to get their call ups. Questionable amount. I mean, if there's any number, it's a questionable amount of MLS call-ups. Uh, but it's nice to see. I mean, there's definitely at least one call-up uh, from the midfield, De La Torre, which we'll get to, given that he plays in London. Uh, but you would think that would be more of the case for some of these players. Playing in Europe should be enough. That Here's the crazy part to me is that I, in terms of goalkeepers, I, I can't even argue. Even, like, before, right, the three goalkeepers they picked before were like, okay, there's no arguing that whatsoever. Then then Stefan goes out with injury. And now it's like, well, um, there's Jonathan Klinsman playing at Hertha Berlin, not really playing, but, you know, he's there. And it's like, okay, I guess, I guess that works. And then you start to think, who else could they call? And it's like, oh, not a lot. Not like Jesse Gonzalez from FC Dallas? I don't think so. Not now. Not totally deserving, but he's young. Um, Sean Johnson he just got eliminated. Sean Johnson, I think, just Luis Robles, uh, Tim Melia. There's a really good goalies Hamid, in the MLS. I guess, Hamid could have gotten Hamid. it, I guess. They're old. A decent amount of them are starting to get older. Uh, but you know, even Tim Howard, like we said, oh no, is, nope. <laughs> I I just think that MLS is pretty strong in goalkeepers. Had they, a bunch of decent of them gone abroad, I think they would do okay. So I think there's not any reason to think that there's any of them that wouldn't do well. I think Klinsman was more of an issue of, all right, let's give the kid a, a chance. His dad played here. I suppose he's, the short he's in notice. Germany. He, again, he's in Europe. Yeah, yeah. I think the short He's already in Europe. Too. It's not yeah, that too bad of a flight. To, you didn't have to send him. I don't know how many more European keepers there are in the U.S. Uh, pool. Yeah, it's definitely not as many as MLS yeah, so. who are available. Uh, the defenders, John Brooks, Reggie Cannon, Cameron Carter-Vickers, Aaron Long, Matt Miazga, Shaq Moore. Anthony Robinson was called, missing due to injury. Uh, Jorge Villafania, DeAndre Yedlin, Walker Zimmerman. So, uh, you know, Brooks and Yedlin, obvious picks. Uh, Aaron Long, MLS Defensive Player of the Year is here. Uh, Cameron Carter-Vickers and Miazga, the anointed future in the middle, even though Miazga apparently heading back to Chelsea in January because apparently at Nantes they don't like him anymore. Uh, Walker Zimmerman, good season for LAFC. Reggie Cannon, Shaq Moore, Jorge Villafania, all going to be competing for time at, right, at fullback. And I didn't think too many of these were surprises. Uh, Zimmerman, I think we can both agree, were, was pretty strong for LAFC team without too much of a defense. Oh, great. He deserved to be here. And the, and for the most of the most part, the rest of the guys were either a case of who else are we going to call and guys who have, you know, been pretty trusted by Sarah Chan, obviously. Brooks, uh, Cameron Carter's Vickers, Miazga, Robinson, and uh, Yedlin have been pretty consistent uh, call ups for them. Uh, Long, again, Defender of the Year deserves it. Zimmerman, I think, uh, given his time at LAFC, deserves it. And we've talked about L- the left back position not being too strong. Viafania, the Timbers, not too many other left backs who really have proven it. So between him, Robinson, you know, they, they'll sort it out. Yeah, we'll have to see how that goes. And again, remember, no Robinson because of the injury. So going to be kind of limited in the options on that front. Uh, to the midfield, they brought uh, Kalen Acosta, Tyler Adams, Luca De La Torre, like you mentioned earlier, big for him. 
Marky Delgado, Romain Gall, Julian Green, Sebastian Legette, Weston McKinney, Darlington Nagby, who will miss due to injury, alleged injury. I don't think he's actually injured. I think he's one of those guys that's going to squeak out of here uh, to stay healthy for his playoff run. Uh, Christian Pulisic, Kenny Seff, Will Trapp, and Tim Weah, who, again, not sure why he's listed as a midfielder. Pretty sure he's a forward, but he's on the list. So I, I, I grouped these guys into category, right? I have the meh from MLS, Marky Delgado, Kellen Acosta, Sebastian Legette, Will Trapp, Darlington Nagby was here too before he was you know left out because of the injury. Then there's the cool LeBron players everyone likes to see, Romain Gall, Kenny Seff, and Tim Weah, and the usual suspects, Weston McKitty, Christian Pulisic, and Tyler Adams. The intriguing choice of Luca De La Torre, who's appeared just once this season in the League Cup for Fulham, did score though. And Julian Green doesn't really belong in any of these categories, so he's also here. Yeah, and I think Green has proved his attitude isn't exactly uh, suitable for the team, given how he's been dropped from Bayern Munich and the other German teams that he's been at. Uh, Roman, Roman Gall, really happy to see that one, because he's been great with Malmo in Sweden and totally revitalized his career. Uh, when it comes to the Met picks, I'm with you part of the way. Unless I'm a fan of Trap. He was kind of a you know a second choice, but I think Sebastian Lettjet is a pretty good player. We'll see how good he is at the international level. We haven't seen too much of that, but Delgado totally I think underdeserved, and Kellen Acosta totally as well. But you know we've talked about before who else could uh, fill these roles. What does Alfredo Morales actually... have to? Do? Sorry, I don't want to cut you off, but what does Alfredo Morales have to do to get a call up? Good lord, I'm just no saying. and I. I'm with you because we did talk earlier about who else could we possibly pick at center mid. And I actually went through and thought, thought about it. I'm like, actually, there's some pretty good options who could play there. He had to say, okay, way more deserving than, first of all, Marky Delgado, who I think has very little reason to be there. And Callan Acosta, who, despite being bad at the uh, club level, is actually pretty decent at the national team level. Uh, and Sebastian Lechette, who is fairly mercurial. Uh, I, I still think Alejandro Bedoya has been good at both levels. Uh, but got kind of banked out because of Michael Bradley's uh, play. Uh, Bradley, again, he's not a terrible player, no. but okay, I'm okay with him being left out. Danny Williams, play at the Premier League, proven player. Fabian Johnson, who can play on the wing, play in center mid, play at fullback. Um, Durkin, uh, young player at uh, D.C., who should deserve a chance at some point. Keaton Parks, who we've seen a little bit of earlier. Russell Canoose, uh and there's so many more. Like, like, how does any of those guys I don't know. deserve less of a call-up than Marky Delgado, a guy who's a bit part player in a team that couldn't make the playoffs despite having the two top play, paid players in Josie Altidore, Sebastian Giovingo. Sorry, three top paid players, including Michael Bradley. How does that guy deserve a chance over those six guys who've proven themselves on the international and national level as being better players. Rant I, over. No idea. I'm with you 100%. So I'm just going to move on to the forwards, Josh Sargent and Bobby Wood. I, I guess they just really didn't have any other option. Apparently, Josie Altidore, uh, who's not injured, at least as far as I know, and is not – he said he had to miss the last one for personal reasons. Not sure if he's still got those personal reasons as to why he's not here or if they're just not calling him. I'm okay with not calling him. But uh, at the same time, this forward depth, uh, we still need a little more forwards. Just saying. 
Uh, so, you know, I guess I wouldn't have been as upset this time had he been called, given that Josh Sargent, who, again, has still not made a senior appearance for Werder Bremen's here, and Bobby Wood, who is, you know, fairly consistent for the U.S., but uh, in and out of his uh, Hanover side. I think Wood is going to be the consistent guy for the U.S. for the de- foreseeable future. You know, he's he is playing at the Bundesliga level. Uh, you know, McKenney at the same point. They, they're guys who I think are the best we have. And you mentioned earlier, right? Away as a forward, all yeah. things considered. He's and a so winger. Is, to be fair, so is Julian Green, I guess. They play him a lot at, but, like, yeah, if you're, at the top. But, you know, this is a team that sees more of a... You know, if we're saying a 4-5-1, it's a 4-3-3 with, you know, guys like Seth, Gall, um, Wea, Julian Green supplementing the top guys. So the fact that there's only two forwards for one position isn't too crazy. Uh, the sergeant really is the only guy who's at all, I guess, um, a guy who hasn't deserved it, I guess, right? I mean, I wouldn't say he doesn't deserve it. It's just kind of like, I, I I guess here's the thing: Earned like, who, who else would you call, right? Like, it's like Josie Altidore's out there. I guess uh, I believe Novakovic is injured. Uh, I, I don't believe uh, Aaron Johansson has done anything to deserve a call up anytime in the recent times. So it is kind of slim pickings really, in that front. And it's really Zardis who we thought yeah, will Zardis. deserve it in the future, but he he was playing through an injury, so I think it's reasonable to think that. He didn't need to to come to this and should get some time to rest and recover. Sprained his shoulder, I think. No, no, he's he's legitimately injured. So there's, I, I understand completely why he's not here. So I, I don't really have much complaints in the forwards, just because I just don't like I, I don't want to complain if I don't have anybody that I legitimately think should be here that's not. So. And I think the big things that we've seen so far is Sarah Chan has you know other than three or four guys has a pretty you know pretty consistent pick of who he thinks is going to be here. But we did give this guy three, four international breaks, but he's not going to be our national team coach. I wonder how many of these are actually his picks and not Ernie Stewart's or the U.S. you know, federations. Well, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Hopefully the next time we're talking about this in January, it's being led by the new manager. I can't imagine it's not. If we're still talking about Dave Sarekin in January, oh boy, there's going to, there's somebody's going to hear it from me, but yeah, we, let's let's get there first. So let we'll 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 move on before before this gets off the rails, and we move on to burying the teams that we've lost along the way this week. Uh, starting with the Seattle Sounders, very tough start to the season, eliminated in the Concacaf Champions League by Chivas, who went on to win in the quarterfinals. Uh, didn't win their first game until their fifth match. Had just two wins heading into June. They even got eliminated in the Open Cup by Sacramento. But Seattle makes the big signing, as they seem to do every year. Raul Ruiz Diaz comes in, bringing him on as a DP. Arrived after the World Cup, helped turn the ship around. I think it all kind of starts with that Fourth of July win against Colorado. Twelve matches unbeaten and a nine-match winning streak. From there, nine, the longest in MLS history. So with Clint Dempsey retiring midseason, they have an open DP spot. Could be very interesting. This team's just, you know, I, I have to say, they're probably feeling pretty good about themselves going forward next year. I mean, the turnaround this team had was mind-boggling. Uh, you know, barring any injuries, they have a terrific framework to be contenders again. Um, but, yeah, with I don't think losing Dempsey... As much as losing a DP spot, wasn't losing a player as much because he was just slowing down so much over the past three, four years. Uh, 
versus his top level. Uh, and, and, you know, the addition of Raul Ruiz Diaz, where have we heard Seattle bringing in a top, you know, attacking player and being a contender again? So I'm almost surprised they didn't win MLS Cup this year. Yeah, it was definitely definitely came up a little bit short with how much momentum they have. They just kind of ran into a, a rival team that had the game plan and the guts and the offensive firepower to be able to go toe-to-toe with them again. So the unfortunate kind of reality of their situation is that as hot as they went into the playoffs, when you're in the playoffs, you're playing against nothing but good teams, and they ran into a really good one in Portland. So they're attacking front four. I think it's pretty solid. I think it could use an upgrade on the left, but, you know, that's kind of I think it's kind of splitting hairs when you have so much talent around it. Uh, Reed Diaz up top, Lodero and Roldan is up there with any attacking trio, and then even with Victor Rodriguez or uh, Harry Ship kind of filling in, uh, it's splitting time at that other spot. I think it's fine. I don't think you're. I don't think you're. I don't think you're reaching too much there. Uh, and you have Will Bruin coming off the bench, who I think is fine as a, a, a super sub striker who can you know he can play in the open cup. He can play in a midweek game when Reed Diaz needs a rest. I think you don't lose a whole lot. Obviously, Reed Diaz is an elite level talent, and Will Bruin is just kind of a guy. Yeah, I mean. He's he's perfectly suitable as a backup. I don't think he should be starting for a team in MLS. Uh, so I'm ter- perfectly fine with that, as long as you know Victor Rodriguez can stay at the top level and he kind of showed at the end of the year to be a left mid. It it is a good top four, but uh, you know consistency levels here and there. Ship was better than Rodriguez at some points, which is worrisome. Uh, it's again, it's amazing to think that even with that, they're a top two team in the west right and how tempting would it be big money signing this january bringing a guy to play there on that left side they'd be very dangerous and they did try it earlier this year i mean the season with magnus wolf eichram uh one of i think two swedish players brought in in the offseason another one being uh, uh magnus erickson who did pretty well with San Jose, all things considered, despite their terrible season. <laughs> but uh, Ikram was dropped by uh, Seattle partway through the season, so uh, they did try it, and I would assume, I would assume they tried again. Yeah. Behind them, the midfield pairing, about as solid as I think as it's going to get in MLS. Uh, club legend Osvaldo Alonso and Gustav Svensson, both there, 32 and 31 respectively, so I do think that it would be, in, be, it would be a good idea for them to bring someone in there that feels like it could be filled by their academy, which is looking like it's producing some good players. But I think they're going to need a third guy, not necessarily in the starting 11, but somebody that's going to be able to fill in. Those guys are only getting a little older. You want to keep their miles down a little bit. And so I think you'd want a guy who can start at the MLS level to be on the bench for them. Yeah, I think that the uh, the academy will be one source that's been strong for them, at least in like fullback you know, winger situation. They've had a couple guys like uh, Buana. Uh, who've come in and been well, pretty that, strong for them. I think that Buana guy's going to be good. <laughs> he, he just, yeah, he's going to be something special. Something. Yeah, I mean, Tolo is pretty young, but they brought in uh, Brad Davis at left back, who was hurt towards the end of the year, but pretty strong when he came in halfway through. Um, and, and the good thing is, even if those guys are getting younger, I mean, Ozzy Alonso is an elite defensive man in this league. Past you know several years, he's been one of the best. Gustav Svensson kind of going under the radar, but you know he's a good center back too. And speaking of center backs, Chad Marshall's not getting any younger. He's not. And neither is Roman Torres. In a, you know, the, Torres, 32, is not that old for a center back. But, you know, this season he showed a lot of decline. He was kind of dropped from the starting 11 for a long period of time before, of course, Marshall went down in the first leg. And he's got he's, he got injured Achilles at 34 years old. He had surgery. That's 
you know, I don't, I know he's a center back, so it's, you know, in terms of positions to have an Achilles injury, it's probably one of the better ones, but that's, that's tough. Achilles injuries at that age can be career ending or career shorteners. So that, that's going to be really interesting. They might, they might want to consider rebuilding that center back position. Yeah. And I can only think of two people who have ever really come back from an Achilles injury at that age or older. Uh, Javier Zanetti, I think was the fastest to return uh, from Inter Milan defensive mid at age 39. So if Marshall was as fit as that guy was, he may be able to pull it around, but I could see this being the end of him. Uh, the other one being Charlotte Thomas. But, uh, yeah, the and Svensson could slot in there, but it's another position they're going to have to address because it's tough to come back from. Cheeky, I like it. Uh, Kim Kihi, solid. I think. Oh, the other center back, I guess I should say, for those not maybe as familiar. Uh, I think and top five name in MLS. Yes, for sure. Uh, fullbacks, you mentioned, kind of all right. Nothing to write home. I, I think Nuhu Tolo's got a lot of improving to do, but he's also 21 years old, so uh, I fair play to him. I think he does get better. Uh, team needs depth. And th- and, but he's a backup to Brad Davis, who came in halfway through this year. I think it was an underrated signing. Uh, had a couple assists in his first few games. So Tolo would definitely grow. But... Um, you know, between him, Leardam on the other side, replacing uh, the Trinidadian traitor. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, uh, let's not let's but not go there either. Let's let's keep it positive. We're away from away from the U.S. team now. I mean, obviously, this is a team with some talent, slightly aging. I would think they'd add Jordan Morris coming back next year, who can play on the wing. It's just true as well. I forgot about him from yeah. his knee injury. Um. So, you know, they they can add here or there, but they're still, even with this team, I think they're a top two, three, four team in the West pretty pretty easily. And uh, Stefan Fry, elite in goal by the numbers. Not by not elite by Emmett's standard, but elite by the numbers. So, not a bad piece. I mean, listen, I, I try to play by the, by the eye test. Uh, he did win save of the year. I thought it was a very good save. I couldn't see. They didn't list the other saves he was up against. I would bet Luis Robles has a couple that are better. He's probably the best. Him and Sean Johnson, I think, are the best reaction save goalkeepers in the league. Melia, best position-wise. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, Fry, 32, getting older, but yeah, he's still got a couple years at the top level given how he plays. So even with this team aging, I think they're in a pretty decent position to carry on their success. Hit me with that panic level. Portland, damn you! Oh no! Uh, but th- but there is no there is no panic for this team. This is a team that if they start next season at a mediocre to below average season, if they did what they end did at the end of this season, they would still be comfortable favorites to finish first. That's how bad they were to start the season. You know, address a couple of players at center back, center mid, but do it at a leisurely play- pace. This is a team that yet again is a dominant force in the west there you go moving on to real salt lake so i I spent most of the season dogging these guys absolute disbelief as far to make it as far as they did uh it takes more than a cursory glance for sure to figure these guys out a little bit because they won three games on the road all year then they were able to upset lafc in the playoffs and they nearly won in kansas city so they definitely had a they definitely had a run there at the end negative 17 goal difference on the road was the third worst in the west ahead of only colorado and minnesota so just to make the playoffs, they also had to have the most wins at home in the West, tied with Portland at 11. They lost just twice at home all season. They never won more than three in a row. They did that twice. 
and they lost back-to-back games only once. So this team was literally just trading wins, losses, and draws all season long. It's incredible. Yeah, I mean, they were saved by Houston in the end, and it kind of turned what would have, I think, been a mediocre season after they finished seventh into one that was uh, very uh, hopeful, you know, going out. And given their away record in the playoffs, winning LAFC, going to sport in Kansas City, and probably being a team that deserved to come out with the win showed a lot of maturity in how this team has evolved. And under Mike Petke, who's a pretty solid coach, I think he's kind of started figuring out how this young team can be at its best. Yeah, completely agreed that Mike Petke definitely f- flies under the radar sometimes. I love. I got to say, I do love his uh, his demeanor. He's definitely got a presence about him. So I do appreciate a good character as a coach for MLS. Uh, Demir Krylak, we've talked a little, just a little bit about in the last couple weeks. Started out as a defensive mid. You may know that by now. Turned into a striker of sorts, became the team's leading goal scorer, 15 goals. Uh, Albert Rushnak had 11, Corey Baird with 8, rookie of the year Corey Baird with 8. Joe Plata had 8, Jefferson Savarino 7. All 26 are younger, so you can expect everyone to be able to replicate that. Uh, uh, Here we go. Is it that crazy for me to believe that Krylak, if they stick him at forward again, could reach double-digit goals again in 2019, considering how just good he looks in that position? I mean, considering he only scores ridiculous goals, I don't know how sustainable it is. But, I mean, honestly, I think it comes down to do they keep Albert Rusnak. It does. Because in some rumors. He's a young guy. He's, what, at 21-22, came from Groningen in uh, the Dutch League. He might be going back to Europe. I, I completely agree because I do think if, uh, if Rusnak leaves, this team is – in a really bad spot because I don't know how you're going to replace his production. He's 24 years old, by the way. 24. Yeah, he's a very good player, and I can't imagine being able to replace his production very easily, especially with a team that doesn't really look like they spend a lot of money. I mean, they have two DPs, Rushnak and Savarino, both really good investments right now. So that would be a very tough ask for anybody to come in and fill his shoes. Uh, I... We'll see. Uh, they all, uh, all those guys I mentioned earlier, they kind of double as playmakers. So again, I do think, at least in terms of scoring goals, that they keep that group together. They're in a very good spot heading into 2019. Uh, defense is going to have to improve, though. Uh, Nick Romando's 39. So on top of the defense, you have to imagine that the succession plan at goalkeeper has to be getting started sooner rather than later. You know, you have Brooks Lennon, solid piece to start with. You have Justin Glad, Marcelo Silver, Nick Beasler all sort of filling in in that middle of the defense. It's all good. Glad probably better than both of those guys, but they're they're just they're good. They're nothing special, and I think it would probably help them if they mm-hmm. had a better defensive midfield in front of them. Kyle Beckerman's age is only getting to be a bigger factor now. Again, I don't know how he does it because he's what thirty nine. He's still playing at a pretty good level, all things considered. Yeah, totally. I mean. Uh, like, like you mentioned, Justin Glad, I think, and, uh, and Nick Bessler, two relatively young guys, lead the team. Brooks Lennon, converted winger, still got a lot to learn. He had that error at the end with Sporting Kansas City. And at left back, they've had a couple different guys there uh, between uh, Danny Acosta. Um, so uh, the, the back line definitely could grow and learn. I think that will happen a lot under Ramondo, um, despite being 39. I think so. He's still got... Uh, another year or two under him 
But yeah, defensive mid seems to be the issue. Don't forget they have Saucedo on the wing as well. Uh, under 21 player. Yeah, they got a lot uh, of young talent in. here. And don't forget, Jao Plata has been around for two, three years for RSL, being an impact player. Um, with with Rusnak and Krylak up top, Corey Bear, despite being rookie of the year with eight goals, he might turn into another Abu Danladi with Minnesota, who once Minnesota started realizing they could sign some better flair, players like Darwin Cantero and Christian Ramirez, kind of fell by the wayside. Uh, because there is... I like how you put it like Minnesota just one day realized, oh, right, we can spend money. But only on one position. Ah. Uh, <laughs> that defense is still hard. Um, but, yeah, I don't think that the attacking mids or the wingers or the forwards are a thing to worry about. Um, the defense will, will, you know, they'll get... It's a young team. The defense will get better. They'll mature. I, I'd wonder what happens with Armando, but to be honest, the way he plays, sometimes you think he can play for 10 more years. Sometimes you see the errors he makes and think, I mean, the one that gave Sporting Kansas City the away goal, that, that could have, that's basically sealed it for them. That was a difference maker. Yeah, well, so we'll see. I, I think if you improve the defense and the you know back end of the midfield, it could be a real problem for teams next year. Certainly. I mean, it's... The, the front and the back is young and talented and full of surprises for, you know, for you and me and everyone watching RSL. It's always a fun time. All right, panic level. Hold, hold, hold. Because this is a young team with exciting talent, like we said. I think with more development in this back line and another top-level center mid, this team will be much, much more than just a team that the Galaxy saved with a loss on decision day a lot of potential here i'm looking forward to how they develop yeah and uh, again my apologies to all real salt lake fans uh i was wrong especially nate smith yes nate smith i greatly apologize i will have to uh, i will personally fly out to utah and apologize to nate smith though at a later date <laughs> uh nycfc i have to believe this is the most very disappointing end of their season they're rolling and you know things kind of took a turn for the worst. They it made it to August with just five losses, and that's with Torrent coming in on board, two one win over Toronto FC on June twenty fourth. So that was kind of interesting how it kind of fell apart, but not right away with Torrent. It kind of took a little while for them to fall off. But you know they were under Torrent in the regular season. They went eight four and seven, eight wins, four draws, seven losses compared to Vieira with eight wins, four draws, three losses. So Vieira won the same amount of games, had the same amount of points. But played four, but managed four or fewer matches, and that is significant. To be fair, that's four extra losses that Torrent threw up, and some against some pretty weak opposition. Indeed, so not not the good not the good start for NYCFC that they would have wanted on the post Patrick Vieira era. Huh, that rhymes. Uh, another team that just kind of backed into the playoffs, no real momentum outside of smashing the Union. And, you know, they, they do smash the Union back-to-back games, so that gets them to the conference semifinals, but it's just not a lot here. DP Money seems to be well spent. You know, Maxi Morales is a very good player. Jesus Medina looks like he's coming along. He's still kind of young, so you have to kind of let him grow a little bit. And I, there's no need to discuss the worth of David Villa. They even made, you know, good signings outside of the DPs. Ishmael Tajuri Shradi burst onto the scene this season, coming in from Austria. This guy's great offensive spark club. They slotted him in all over the place, played wing back, played in the midfield, played up top as a winger. So I think he's got great potential going forward. 
they're top end in both offense and defense. They're they're very hard to score on at home. Only allowed ten goals at home this season. Lost one game at home all year. Two if you count the playoffs. Like that's crazy. But problems, 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 problems. Vs thirty six. Any moment could be his last. And he scored 15 goals for them. That's production that you can't just find off the street. You're going to have to find and plan carefully to replace that kind of goal production. And with their checkbook, I wouldn't be surprised if they can just, you know, sign up another striker if Via goes. But, you know, it's, it's sounding like he's done. You know, Taylor Twelman tweeting out that it looks like, you know, he wants to play one more year, but he doesn't want to play with NYCFC. I think it's part of NYCFC not wanting him. Uh, I mean... Listen, you and me were talking earlier. If you're scoring less than 12, 13 goals in an MLS team starting consistently, you're underperforming. Villa's 36, didn't play every game due to injuries and this and that. He still scored 15 goals. It's hard to think that this is a guy who cannot impact a team, especially given that he knows how NYCFC plays. He knows how to play in a small field. And he has that technical ability. Wherever he goes is going to be a... I think it's going to hurt NYCFC because they don't have a striker right now to back him up. No, they do not. Joe Even with Kajori Strati, more of a winger. Joe Ingeberget, more of a winger. Uh, Morales, number 10. They don't really have a... They have no number nines. Yeah, agreed. So I think that letting him go is a mistake. I think he should he should retire as an NYCFC player. But at the same time, you know, if he doesn't want to stay, I guess you can't really force him to. So that's going to be interesting, kind of a real thing to keep an eye on. And, and like I said, I do think that if David Villa goes, you'll see them splash on a striker. I can't imagine them. You know, could it be that they're in for Zlatan? I, ah, ah, that one, I don't know. Um, I mean, there's... There's, there's too much going around this team that I don't think Zlatan something that comes in. It never struck my mind. I think he goes to Europe if he leaves anywhere. Um, but listen, New York City does have the pipeline to uh, Manchester City, which we've seen can be important with a team like Montreal being uh, you know, linked to Bologna and having those European connections. So potentially they bring another person in. Uh, I'd like to see Villa stay because I don't think he was the reason they dropped off at the end. Because last six games they won once outside of the Union. Ouch! And that was against the Chicago Fire at oh, home. Oh well, that doesn't count. That's at all. a loss. That's the loss. The only loss at home to New England. Uh, the draw at home to DC. The loss at DC. The draw to Montreal. The loss to Minnesota. So, as much as we think, oh yeah, they had those two wins at the end of the season, they're bursting back into the scene against the Union, those meant nothing to me. This is a team that still Hard to has a lot to do. And with Villa potentially on the move, there's just more and more issues. Yeah. So, uh, Look, the other thing is, uh, even if Villa stays, uh, it is, you know, it's going to be interesting. They do have some goal-scoring uh, issues in the sense that, you know, it, it is kind of a drop-off after you go past Chajoy Shradi and uh, Morales. But yeah, we'll see. Uh, defensive midfield depth, uh, losing Herrera made life tough on them. It felt like for you know a chunk of the Certainly. season, and you know, and they looked absolutely broken when Alexander Ring missed. So I do think that they could use another guy there that's dependable. They didn't really have anything else behind them, and uh, a new stadium, please, please. Oh, and Herrera. Please. I, I forgot to mention this very important detail. <laughs> Herrera was on loan, so. 
they, they should really bring that guy back. I don't know what that's going to cost, but yeah. I think he comes back from this season. I don't think he's ready to go to Europe. But yeah, it shows... Uh, I mean, p- part of their big losing streak, well, I, as much as we put it down to Dom Torrent, was down to losing Herrera and Ring uh, and Medina. So, um, I mean, let's be honest. This team doesn't have too much depth outside of those star players. Right, I do think depth is But they always seem to replace them every year. True. I guess we'll see how they go. And finally, the Columbus crew. uh, I think we could just say that the crew were saved, so it doesn't really matter how the season ended for them. But uh, they were in playoff position most of the season, and it wasn't until the end that they kind of started to struggle and nearly missed the playoffs completely. Scored only 43 goals this season. That's second worst ahead of only the lowly Rapids. 45 goals allowed, so that gives them a negative goal difference. Oh, man. And so Jossie Zardes nearly scored half the team's goals. He had 19 in the regular season. And that's great for Zardes. That's that's something that you can't really rely on every season. You can't hope that Jossie Zardes is going to be able to score 19 again next season. I, I'll i bet the under on that every time. But I still think he'll outperform uh, the MLS average only under Greg Berhalter. This is a team that despite the low goal total, despite uh, the the minus goal difference, despite the fact that, honestly, all things considered, I don't think they have a top four team in the East, was, all things considered, a top four team in the East, I think. And just, a, a good performance away from heading to the Eastern Conference Finals. Exactly. Um, and I think it all comes down to Greg Berhalter. Listen, we haven't, we, we've sung his praises enough, uh, but I'm wondering if he does take the U.S. national team how much trouble this team will be in. Even if the coach can pull a, you know, Chris Armis and come on and say, all right, let's just do what we've been doing, keep the mentality. Uh, that, that's still impressive. Even what Armis did, I don't, I don't know how many coaches can pull that off. We will, and once either the Red Bulls are eliminated or they go on to win MLS Cup, we will absolutely give Chris Armis his due for doing the complete opposite of what Torrent was able to do and keep the team on track. So Because that's, like you said, it is not an easy job to do. I I don't know. We'll see because I I talk about it a little bit in what I wrote down. I was I was curious, you know, what what would this team do because they are set up in a way that does kind of limit their goal scoring potential, right? They are not they are not playing in a way that is going to score a ton of goals. They play one way, and that is limiting the damage on the defensive end and scoring the goals when they can when they have clear chances on the other end. That's going to lead to you know some games where you only score some stretches where you score two or three goals in a four or five game stretch, and you just have to be able to live with it. But the thing is, how would this team perform if they got a more attacking manager? I got to tell you, I don't think it would really work all that well because their defense isn't, you know, amazing. It's all right. And then, you know, the offensive players here, it's not like it's not like I would say, oh, if Jossie's artist joined like Atlanta, you know, like if Jossie's artist joined Atlanta, yeah, it would probably work, but it wouldn't be Joseph Martinez levels of working and it would probably be very frustrating to watch for Atlanta fans. If he joined LAFC, it'd be very frustrating to watch, I have to imagine, because they don't create a ton of you know, uh, easy chances. They, they rely on a lot of spectacular one-on-one finishing. <laughs> I, I do think that this team is not set up to attack, and so the next manager is going to have to make do with this personnel because I do think that this team is going to be kind of stuck with their current personnel for a little while as the transition is made. But, I mean, okay, so if you go position by position, they have goalie of the year, Zach Steffen, whether or not you think he deserves it. Well, um, he absolutely deserves it, though. I will say Zach Steffen is probably very close to being out the door. Interesting. 
Um, but yeah, he you know his his value has gone up since being with the national team. Milton Valenzuela, DP left back, um, you know, proven some immaturity, but a lot of talent. The center backs. I don't know how Jonathan Mensa is on a DP contract, but he still is. Uh, Lalas Abubakar, two strong and physical center backs, who I think are really, really well complemented by Will Trapp, uh, who's also well complemented by Arthur Archer next to him in the midfield, and Harrison Awful. That kind of rounds out the back six. And listen, it's a fine back six, but I mean, we've been saying similar things about other teams this year. I think under a worse coach, that team could find some serious holes opening up with how Mens, uh, you know, Mensa and Abubakar play. Agreed. I and the way Valenzuela and Affel, bar- you know, barge forward. I do think that this will be a very interesting rebuilding project for whoever takes over. Assuming they do, if Berhalter stays, I think there's a lot of intrigue going forward next season to see what kind of adjustments he can make. Uh, Frederico, superior Iguain brother, the ageless one, 34 years old, he still looks good. They're going to need... More creativity in the side, I think. But by the way, so what the point I was going to make about the goals was Jess Sardis scored 19, right? Iguain, superior Iguain, scored six. Nico Hansen followed that with three. You got to have more goals than that from someone else. And obviously, think, you can't rely on Iguain to do it because he's get, only getting yeah. older. Uh, never totally relying on pace, but yeah, as that goes, it's the next year will probably be his last. Pedro Santos was brought in to be that guy, the last DP. Never really was a big goal threat. Um, I mean, we look at the other attacking player that they have, Justin Merrim. How far is he away from being the total flop he was at Orlando? I think it's just Greg Berhalter. I think it's the difference between him being an impactful player at the crew and being a flop at Orlando, and I think that's the difference between a lot of players here at the crew, and that's my big worry. Uh, Your worry hit him with the panic level. The panic level is Burhalter, please don't go. Because we still don't know if he will. We're assuming he will. But there are so many questions about how this team will look next year without him. I mean, Zardis, you know, was nothing at the Galaxy before he came to the crew. Burhalter made him <laughs> what he is today. And I'm, I would start sweating if I was a Columbus Crew fan, not only be, about the fact of losing the team, but how fast the league is growing and how the crew have kind of fallen behind despite Berhalter kind of dragging them up by the by the cuff. I I would say it's the only thing keeping this crew afloat, and without him they may sink like the ancient ship that they are. It's very possible. So, yeah, those, those are our obituaries. Again, we'll have, well, no, I guess we won't have any next time either. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, excited for the playoffs? Oh, good. International break time. The only games to really talk about <laughs> now, uh, the U.S. men's national team going up against England tomorrow, 3 p.m. Eastern on ESPN2. And then uh, Tuesday, they go to Belgium to face Italy, 2.45 Eastern on FS1. Yeah. Well, uh, hopefully it's better than the last few friendlies because I'm getting kind of tired of these like boring friendlies that don't have a lot of impact on what I think about the team anymore. So... To be, to be fair, this is kind of how international play goes. It's much more tentative and tactical, slow, because they just don't get the same time to you know train that the club teams do. Don't bring your logic w- into this, Emmett. I don't want to be bored. I do want to throw in one thing is that I am super excited for the next round of games because 
Well, unfortunately, this is my last podcast from South Africa. And so I will be on a normal time zone watching the games uh, the next time they come around in the conference finals. Yeah, starting... But... Starting starting next Sunday, right? Yes, next Sunday when the games come around. Uh, Not this Sunday. But for this week, that is all the time we have for the American Soccer Show. Don't forget to subscribe to us and check out past episodes. You can find us on iTunes, Google, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts are found for all your American soccer needs. Make sure to leave us a review. Give us five stars or something. I don't know. Something positive. Show us some love. Until next time, I'm Emmett McConnell alongside Eric Alcantor signing off.